Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah is brought to you by Fuedobots. If you're not familiar, Fuedobots is a hot sauce of the month club. They bring small batch and craft hot sauces that you've probably never heard of to your doorstep every 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days. It's your choice. If a monthly shipment is too spicy to handle out of the date, their website has a hot sauce shop where you can purchase as many bottles as you want. They've got sauces from the Deep South, Mexico, and even the Caribbean available to purchase right now with no commitment necessary. They even sell a spicy honey. Go to Fuedobots.com and use the code BROBIBLE10 for $10 off your first order. That's Fuedobots.com and use code BROBIBLE10 for $10 off your first order. You don't come to Sundance for the snow, you come for the heat. Welcome back to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage Podcast. I am your host, J.R. Hickey, coming to you from San Francisco, California. Hope your week is going well. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for rolling with these Wednesday releases, guys. Only two more weeks. We are going to be back onto our regularly scheduled Monday releases right after Memorial Day weekend. Huge episode this week, the Sundance Kids. It's a classic. It's one of those iconic Entourage episodes that everybody remembers Wanted to have a big guest on, so I had senior film and culture writer for Uprocks.com and the founder of FilmDrunk.com, Vince Mancini, on. Vince used to live in the Bay Area. He was a comedian. We ran in the same circles. He has been to Sundance 10 times over the past 10 years, so I thought he'd be the perfect guest. Full disclosure, about five minutes before we started recording, Vince emailed me, and he said, Hey, by the way, I kind of hate Entourage, which initially gave me pause. Because we've had people on the show who hate Entourage, and it makes for a not-that-enjoyable 30-40 to minute episode. But I decided to move forward with it because Vince is a cultured, well-spoken dude, and I thought he could give a little bit of perspective. And to be honest, he doesn't hate Entourage. He hates two performances in the Entourage universe. And, And I'll leave it up to you guys to find out for yourself what those are. So it was a great conversation. He's really articulate about his reasoning. We still got to unpack all the great parts of this episode. As you guys know, I'm an Entourage super fan, so I made sure to hit all of our usual topics and talking points. If anyone follows me on social media, I was at Joshua Tree this past weekend. I did a short video for Fuedobots.com, one of our newest sponsors and advertisers. If you haven't checked that out, go to the Oh Yeah Pod Instagram feed or Twitter account or go to my personal accounts, at JR Will Do It. I haven't mentioned this in a few weeks, but we are compiling all of our favorite songs from Entourage on a Spotify playlist. It's called the Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah Music Playlist. A link to follow that playlist is in your show bio. Thank you to everyone who's reached out. Thank you to everyone who listens, who's left a five-star review. Please, please, please continue to leave us five-star reviews. We got like 50 five-star reviews on there, and there are thousands of you listening every week, so I know there's a disparity. If you haven't yet, please just hop in that app, hit five stars, and move on with your day. It would mean so much to me. Enjoy the episode, enjoy your week, and we will see you next Wednesday. Our guest this week is the senior film and culture writer for Uprocks.com. He is the founder of FilmDrunk.com, and his work has appeared in GQ and TheRinger.com. And he is the host of The Fraughtcast, a comedy podcast about movies. Dialing in on a Tuesday night from sunny L.A., Vince Mancini, welcome to the Entourage Podcast. 
Hey, thanks for having having me. I should also mention uh, that we, I also have a podcast called uh, Pod Yourself a Gun, which is a Sopranos uh, rewatch podcast, which should be up your alley if you're into this show. Absolutely. So, so this is what you're doing with Sopranos, though. You're rewatching it like once a week. When does that episode drop? Yep. We're well. We don't like we don't have a set schedule. We're trying to do them weekly, but uh, you know, you know how podcasting works. You can't always get your uh, friends in one place. But yeah, we're trying. We're, we're like weekly or biweekly, and uh, yeah, we're on. I think episode eight will be our next one. So it sounds like this isn't the most original idea then. <laughs> Rewatching the show <laughs> from <laughs> HBO's glory days. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Look, the it, it's a it's an idea that has legs. We'll say. Yeah, let's uh, and and a, and a lot of legs to go. So yeah, yeah. No, I did my first podcast before podcasts really had like topics, and we just kind of it was just kind of a talk radio thing. And so now, you know, as you've noticed with this show, now now everything has kind of got like a clearly defined concept. Oh yeah, extremely curated. We're trying to find our curated audience here, and uh, yeah. hopefully we found it. But I, I, hopefully, you know, if people are fans of the Entourage podcast, there's a, hopefully a lot of crossover between mine and yours. So go check out that podcast, Vince. This is such a big episode that we're talking about here: the Sundance Kids, the Boys Go to Sundance. I wanted to have you on. You talked about film for a living, and it's literally the boys at like the most prestigious film festival. Before we dive into all that, though, I'd love to just get your experience your opinion with the show entourage right well i mean first of all like this was actually this is a great episode that you chose because like the first time in the original run of entourage i didn't really know that much about sundance and now that's 15 years later almost and i'm a film critic i've been to sundance like 10 times since (laughs) this aired and you know it's got a lot of uh, insider film references that we all uh, kind of understand more. Um, so that was interesting. That was a fun rewatch. But as far as the show goes, I think I watched like the first season with high hopes as I do with almost uh, any HBO show. And I I think I checked out somewhere <laughs> around this, like this might be kind of where I started to check out. And this episode was like a perfect example of why. <laughs> so just for some clarity for the listeners vince emailed me right before we started and he said hey so i'm kind of a hater is that okay and i said that's great man as long as you're willing to come on here and talk about it let's do it because oh absolutely this is totally fair this is considered the peak of the show so i find it so interesting that you left at its peak yeah i mean like the 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 show like the concept of the show is like it's wish fulfillment right you know like what if your cool, super cool buddy became a movie star and you got to come along for the ride. That concept really relies on the main character who is the big movie star. And I just find Vinny Chase as a character to be like such a charisma vacuum. And like, I don't like, I don't think it would be that cool to be his friend. And so it's like, it's like the show is trying to sell me, sell me this lifestyle like as a cool thing, and I'm watching it, and I'm just thinking like this would be like kind of a nightmare to me, like to be around. I, I don't know, maybe it's from having been around film people who I don't really like that much as a general rule. Uh, I don't know. It's like this whole fake world, and it's presented as this like really cool thing, and everybody's 
very much like posturing uh like everybody's strutting around like every single scene is like a bro a cool bro walk in this show yeah. we'll get to bro walks we'll get to all of it i can't wait to dive in with this opinion of the show i mean this is the midpoint of season two again as i mentioned kind of the apex of the show so did you never return to it did you never tune back in so you missed six and a half more seasons of entourage yeah, I think I checked out around this time. Like, I, re- I remember liking the, uh, and it really came through in this episode. The um, the director of uh, Queens Boulevard, Walsh. Uh, yeah. I really like his character. Like, he's of the group. Like, he's the only one that strikes me as like having actual acting chops. And it, and it's <laughs> like, I mean, other than Jerry Pim- Jeremy Piven, and like you know, Jeremy Piven is basically playing like Jeremy Piven, and. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate what he does, uh, but like as far as the core group goes, it just feels like a very—they feel like very creaky sitcom cutout characters. Uh, and then, except for except for Vinny Chase, who's like a cutout that's not even there, really. <laughs> I just—I'm picturing the listeners who are who are just writhing in their car seats right now, not their like child car seats, but their seats in their cars right now. So this is great, man. I I, I cannot I, wait to 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 go back and forth on some of these topics oh i'm happy to soak up all of the listeners hate because i remember when this the entourage movie came out and it was just like i don't know 500 comments of people yelling at me for not being cool enough to get this show and being like bitter because i'm not as cool as the characters because people that like this show i feel like they think the characters are their friends and to me the thing that always uh that i can never get past with this show is that it doesn't like the relationships between the characters doesn't feel like any of the male relationships and I've, I've been a part of like a lot of groups of dude friends and like i don't know this this show never really rang true to me in that way okay fair enough let's see what topics may or may not have resonated with you throughout this episode i personally mm-hmm. am a huge entourage fan i can see a lot of the good points you're making and i and i understand where your point of view is coming from so i am going to respectfully disagree i'm sure throughout this podcast but let's just see how it goes all right, yeah, no, I'm happy to. I'm happy to argue if that if we want this thing to be like a crossfire kind of thing. <laughs> That's just what everyone came to the Entourage podcast for in arguments. <laughs> yeah, There's no, there isn't enough arguing going on today uh, on podcasts. <laughs> yeah, you're probably not going to like arguments if you love this show, which tends not to have like a ton of stakes in general. <laughs> well, that's for sure. Let's talk about that. So, this episode is called the Sundance Kids. It aired on Sunday, July 17th, 2005. The night before this aired, golf legend Jack Nicklaus played his last professional game of golf at the 134th British Open at St. Andrews in Scotland at the age of 65. Oh, man. During a span of more than 25 years, he won a record 18 major championships. And on Saturday, as he lined up for a 15-foot putt on the 18th hole, that same green in the same tournament that he won in 1970 and 1978, he drilled a birdie to the astonishment of the entire crowd there. What a way to call it a career! Began the week and ended the week with 30s. Like, going out on top, like, in every sense of the word. Unfortunately, (laughs) he didn't make the cut for the Sunday (laughs) crew, where U.S. golfer Tiger Woods won his second Open Championship. Just a look back, a little time capsule for everybody. 
Tiger's back, and now you know he was he, he was big then, and he and he just won won again. Perfect time. Time is a flat circle. That's, That's right. another HBO show reference for you. Quick synopsis of this episode: Vinny and the boys arrive at Sundance, eager to see the final cut of Queens Boulevard, and to convince James Cameron to cast Vince as his Aquaman. A chance encounter between Eric and a studio bidwid leads to an offer for Vince that is a safe alternative to Aquaman. But Vince instead decides to take his chances and go for the superhero franchise. Although James Cameron only sees about 10 minutes of Queens Boulevard, he decides to slot Vince in as his leading man. Also at the festival, Turtle and Drama both romance the same woman, leading to a very awkward moment. Vince, if there is one, what was your favorite moment from this episode? Look, I, I said I was a hater, but there's not like I don't completely hate. This. There's things that I liked in this episode. Um, uh, so I had, there was two moments that I thought were really good. Well, actually three. So um, uh, like they obviously have the Harvey Weinstein character, yep. um, and they did a great job with them. Yeah, it's Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> they did a great job with them, and they sort of uh, you know they 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 depicted him as like a crazy tyrant before the world knew that he was uh, you know a psychopath. Yep. So that, that was pretty great. And the other two things that I liked were uh, in the Q&A when uh, Drama <laughs> and, and Turtle go to the Alejandro Tiva movie. Like this movie is like, I mean, sorry, this episode is pretty accurate to uh, the Sundance experience to some extent. And specifically in that moment, like in every film Q&A, like there's always someone who asks a question that's not really a question. Like I could probably write uh, an entire book about like how not to ask questions at a post film Q and A because they're always terrible because people people in general are kind of terrible and <laughs> people always like they get up and they just want to they just want to hear themselves talk and they say things that's not that aren't really a question and then the other cliche is like oh this one's a two parter <laughs> and everybody just has to sit there while the person uh, just bloviates into the microphone and the idea that Johnny Drama would be that guy is pretty perfect great film congratulations very powerful stuff Alejandro I notice you use a lot of authentic people in film Authentic people are so much better than cartoons or robots. It's a good one, drama. Let me dickhead. Okay, next. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not finished. It's only one question per person, sir. That wasn't a question, that was a statement. Sounded like a question to me. No, no. This is a question. In two parts. Are you interested in seeing any films while you're here, Alejandro? And would you ever consider an American with some Chilean blood in him for the part of Raul in the bullfighter? I would consider anyone who would bring truth to the role. Good, because I'm the sixth lead in Queens Boulevard, and I would be delighted if you would be my guest. Yeah, yeah, no, clowning, clown, the, getting clowned by the director is pretty solid. Uh, yep. And then the other moment that I really liked is uh, Walsh, which in general, like, I think... I, like, like I liked the show when he was a character because I thought he was the strongest character. He, where where they, where uh, they're asking him if anybody's seen the movie, seen his movie yet, and he's like, "Yeah." Me, my editor, and my mother. Yeah, what'd your mother think? She thought it was garbage, but she's a fucking moron. <laughs> like, like that's, yeah, you get the impression that like he's like a jaded actor who's been shit on by his parents his whole life. And that's just been his like driving force. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's the, that was a legit LOL moment for me. And I think one of the few moments of this entire show that I remember, cause a lot of it's kind of a blur, but sure. I definitely vividly remember when Walsh is first meeting those guys and he's like, 
yeah, we're, we're from New York. We're from the streets. We understand. And they're like, oh, yeah, where'd you, we're from Queens. Where'd you grow up? And he's like, Scarsdale. <laughs> and I didn't even really, like, I, I didn't even really fully understand what that meant at the time. But, like, having lived uh, in New York since then, like, I kind of, the joke's funnier now. And I remember it. So, I yeah. I think the line, and I, if I'm, I'm reaching back here, but it's like, Scarsdale, but my dad owned a something in Kew Gardens. Like, he owned, like, a, <laughs> like a, a rest stop or something or a... a and I'm already going to get a bunch of people shitting on me for not getting that line correct because I'm supposed to know every single line from every single episode of the show. Yeah. I'm doing my best here, guys. Walsh is a well-written, well-acted character. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of favorite moments in this episode for me, and I wanted to whittle it down. And we'll get to more throughout today's episode. But uh, I really liked James Cameron in line for popcorn. One more question, Mr. Cameron. Oh. Was the sinking of the ship an attempt to foreshadow the forthcoming sinking of the tech market in 2000? Uh, no. Actually, I just wanted to make young girls cry. Um, can I get some of the Sour Patch Kids, please? You little shitbag! You wanted a job for Vince and now you fuck me! Do you know who I am? You're gonna beg to get back into the pizza business! He's trying to do it. Ah, fuck you! You and that fucking kid! The two of you are about to go down a river of shit! You hear me? That's it! You're finished! I will never offer that kid a fucking job again! Barry Gold's gonna catch a smack too! Fucking Harvey. I liked it. It just kind of humanized the guy. It also was one of these moments where you're like, whoa, Entourage got James fucking Cameron to like play a version of himself, which I thought was uh was entertaining. Yeah, and you're like, oh, that's funny. I can't believe that James Cameron did this show. And they're like, wow, James Cameron is a really bad actor. <laughs> well, that's for sure. I mean, that, I wasn't looking for him to, I wasn't expecting him to any, you know, uh, guest Emmys or anything like that. Right, yeah. It was a good role. I mean, they wrote him a good part. And then I guess, you know, you're going you're gonna to roll your eyes at this, but I liked the moment they find out that Vince got Aquaman when they're on the mountain. Because it sets up, I mean, it's been seven straight episodes of this, Vince, of them being like, should he do Aquaman, should he not? Do we have the money, do we not have the money? Is the offer there? The offer's been pulled. So it's kind of a relieving moment, and I liked that, like, you know, E's immediately like, we need to get you off this mountain, we don't want you breaking your leg on your first day, and, and Vince is just like, nah, fuck that, let's go, and uh, it's a little bro-y, but uh, I liked it. it. It got the testosterone going for me. Vinny, say hello to James Cameron. Call me Jim, Vince. <clears throat> Okay, Jim. Uh, what's what's happening? I can only stay for a bit of the film. But I've got to tell you, it was all I needed to see. How'd you like to come play Aquaman for me? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I can do that for you. Fantastic. Let's get together next week and talk about it. Okay, great. Okay, Vince, I'll see you then. Looking forward to it. Talk to you later. Bye. Cameron just offered me Aquaman. Yes. Yeah, baby. Good job. Got to figure out a way to get you off this mountain. I'll need you breaking your neck before you even start this movie. Are you kidding? We just got Aquaman. I'm raising the stakes. Ten G's to the first guy who gets down there. Ten G's? I'll give you a head start, turtle. Oh! <laughs> Since they want to know. Since they want to know. Since they want to know. Yeah, no, this is definitely a this is definitely a show for people who like watching the boys succeed. Like, they're every episode, it's like, oh, maybe they'll only do a commercial, uh, and then it's like, no, psych, uh, he's gonna get the movie that he wants. Yep. 
That's right. Maybe he'll only do a commercial for half a million dollars for one day's work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this episode is like the, the it's like, oh, is he gonna is he gonna go off and live in Australia and do a surf movie with Harvey Weingard, or is he gonna get to do Aquaman? And it all comes down to whether James Cameron enjoys this passion project, this four hour passion project, <laughs> and turns out he loves it, and everything works out. Everything works out in the end. <laughs> yeah. Vince, we talked every week about bros being bros moments. And bros being bros isn't necessarily the definition that you'd think. It's not them working out and going to monster truck rallies and watching mm -hmm. internet porn together. Essentially, what I've always thought of it as is like just the moment that you watch that seems the most authentic to a group of friends. Now, you just spent five minutes shitting on the inauthenticity of that but i'd love to know if anything like that jumped out at you did you just like the interplay between the guys in any of the scenes in this week's episode oh, oh that's tough i mean because like the whole thing that sticks out of me at this show is like they're always so guarded with each other it feels like someone who's not cool trying to write the cool group of friends that he desperately <laughs> wishes he was part of and like it sticks out so much when turtle and drama are both going after the same chick and they're just like shitting on each other the whole time and then they have they get super awkward like they had a threesome but they don't even they, they can't even allow the vulnerability to like make jokes about it come on drama don't be a dick bro. don't touch me turtle i can't hear you i can't see you i don't even want to know you you're yelling all right what's your problem drama me and drama had a little incident what kind of incident? Don't fucking say it, man. No, no, say it. We accidentally crossed swords. Ew. Really? <laughs> Are there any women there, at least? Yeah, dick, it was a threesome, okay? It's no biggie. Crossing is an occupational hazard. That's what bugs me. It's like, because if, if that happened to me or my friends, like, we would be making jokes about that for, like, the next five years. But these guys are yep. like, oh, don't touch me, bro. Like, stop grinding on me, dude. Like, I'm not gay. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. And it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's so much, there's, there's so much, there's such walls between them. And I understand that, that, that part wasn't the most realistic, but in terms of the comedy surrounding that plot, it's funny. The whole thing where like, she says to them, like, best friends shouldn't have to like fight over women. They should, they should care more about their friendship. She's right. This is crazy. What are we fighting for? This girl's gonna be gone by tomorrow. By tomorrow night, she'll be a memory. And we gotta spend every waking minute together. So what do you wanna do? I want the memory. So do I. Fuck you. Fuck me, fuck you. I said it first. I liked the, the escalation of that and the writing of that. But no, you're absolutely right. It's not super realistic between like two best friends. I know that if like, me and my best friend were going for a girl in this hypothetical situation when I'm not married, I'd just be like, dude, whatever, you you try, and if it doesn't work, then I'll try, or whatever. <laughs> it yeah. just wouldn't matter that much to me. If you're part of an entourage, you're really going to fight over the like the one girl who drives you around? I mean, yeah. surely like Vinny Chase has got groupies to go around. As as we saw like in the hot tub where one of them is just like, well, I'm going to take my top off now. Like the whole, kind of, <laughs> the whole show kind of exists in, um, you know, Love Actually, where there's, there's that one yeah. vignette where like the British guy comes to America and it's basically like a girl's gone wild porno. And you keep, we keep waiting for him to wake up. Cause you're like, is there going to be some sort of comment on it? I was like, no, no, he was just living his dream with a bunch of naked chicks. And that's like the reality that the entire show of entourage like exists in. 
you can be an Entourage hater and I'll be a Love Actually hater because I fucking hate that movie. Oh, no. Well, we're, we're on the same page with that. <laughs> I also like the scene when they're, they did in the snowball fight in the, in the streets of Park City. They're walking down the street talking about what it would be like to marry a Mormon and Ari comes out of nowhere and just blasts him with the snowball. You can't choose who you fall for, bro. Believe me, on the way here, I was dreaming of hooking up with a nice Mormon girl. So why don't you go after a Mormon, John? I mean, they're all over the place here. Besides, everyone knows they know how to treat their men right. They're like Catholic girls times a hundred. You think the night before a Mormon wedding, a guy says, how am I going to sleep with the same eight women for the rest of my life? <laughs> hey, I've been married. Loving one girl right is tough enough. Loving eight would be impossible. Ah, Vince could do it. I don't know. What if I get divorced? Paying alimony would be a killer. Nah, Vince, because they don't get half. I mean, they only get an eighth. They get a ninth, you moron, or else Vince would get left with nothing. Good looking at E. Always saving me money. Oh! oh boy, boy, boy. You don't let your guard down. So, yeah, that seems much closer to to the way that that friend group would work, like, in my experience. Like, it would be more, like, sack tapping and, and things yep. and things of that nature. And that, that scene definitely gets closer. What was your least favorite moment from the episode or moments? Yeah, I think it's I think it's just the way that Turtle and Drama react after <laughs> they cross swords. Like, you can kind of see, like, I saw that plot point, like, getting in a cab six blocks away. And then, and then when it shows up, you're like, "All right, we get it." They they like touched wieners, and they're they're gonna be weird about it. But like, like for a group of guys that supposedly hang out uh, every day, they're really not that comfortable with each other. But Vince, if you and your best friend touched penises, you wouldn't at least be like, "I need a day to let this cool off. I need a day to like let this process." I know that I would. No, I think that would bring us closer together. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Hey, we were playing the game to see who could creep out the other one more, like trying to make more eye contact and whatnot. <laughs> I haven't been lucky enough to have a threesome with one of my buddies, but if I did, I've always joked about around with my friends like I wouldn't be able to look any of them in the eye because we would just make each other laugh so fucking hard at how ridiculous the situation was. Yeah, no, I've ha I have two friends that were in that situation and one of them has like a... Uh, like among our friends, he had, he was the one who had like the infamously huge penis, and yep. then the other guy actually has like Peyronie's disease. who has got like a weird crooked dick, <laughs> and uh, and so from then on, it was just them joking about each other's dicks. It wasn't it wasn't like they were super weird with each other. It was just like that was more that was more joke fodder, really. I'm not as lucky as your friends, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I choose them. I choose them well, I guess. I uh, I'd say my only and this episode has so many great moments that it was hard to choose one that I didn't like, but I liked, and we'll talk about celebrity cameos next, but I liked the Peter Dinklage cameo. I didn't like Ari just being a douchebag to him for no reason. Yeah. It just felt really like childish and like he was being a bully or something. We all loved you in the station agent, Peter. Fucking hope so. That's why I signed on with you people. Uh. Well, if you would have signed on earlier, we could have slipped you into Bad Santa. Actually, I passed on that, though. Thank you. You're one of the biggest actors in this town, Peter. What is that, a play on words or something, dickhead? I tolerate agents. I don't like them. <laughs> don't listen to a word this bump said! Fuck off, Harvey. Yeah, that was a really good cameo, and again, it's like it had, that, that's another thing that's like aged well because Peter Dinklage yep. is only like just ten times as much of a star. So, uh, like him, him being the celebrity cameo was pretty good touch. And let's talk about celebrity cameos a little bit. Peter Dinklage is arguably more recognizable than Ari Gold at this point in his career. Not at this point in two thousand five, but at this point now in twenty nineteen. 
Oh yeah, I think uh, I think Peter Dinklage is a bigger star than anyone in this show, like by a lot. Because <laughs> people don't think about it. In Game of Thrones, you know, this is airing uh, a few days after the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones. We're not there yet, but he is the face of that show. He's won three Emmys, four Emmys for it, and been nominated five or six times. I mean, when you think of Game of Thrones, you think of him, and when you think of Entourage, you think of Ari Gold, and and in this throwdown. Dintelage kind of wins. Yeah. Um, it was nice. It was a nice cameo. It was a nice cameo, and uh, and it's pretty cool of Peter Dinklage to do that, where they're like, all right, your character is kind of a misanthropic uh, guy who doesn't want to play the game. And at that point in his career, when people probably didn't know him as much, I mean, he'd done the station agent and was pretty critically acclaimed for that. But, uh, you know, it wasn't like he was a household name at that point. So let's talk about the other major celebrity cameo, which we talked about a little bit on the top, which is uh, James Cameron. Doug Allen, the creator and writer of the show, he wrote in James Cameron as the director of his fake Aquaman simply because the show's post-production supervisor, Janice, had previously worked on projects with Cameron. And Janice was like, well, what are you doing? And Ellen was like, well, now we've got to go get him. So originally, Ellen actually planned for Aquaman to be a complete bomb at the box office, but it was James Cameron who contacted him at the end of season two to tell him otherwise, which is really interesting to hear like Cameron taking his cameo role on Entourage so seriously. Yeah. And again, like that's pretty good writing. I mean, they wrote in a fictional movie that became a real movie. Um, and then they like, they, they sort of, they wrote James Cameron as a character, like way before, way before he got parodied on South Park. And yep. like, he's this very parody, parodyable dude now who you know like builds submarines and and goes and explores like the mariana trench and then is obsessed with this weird making this weird avatar movie that he that he, i don't even know how many like, when did avatar come out like 2008 nine. or nine yep. and then were we still like it's still going to be two year two more years before a sequel and there's supposedly like four more he's like this insane person he's and like a mad scientist he is, yeah. He's like, he's like Richard Branson. If like if Richard Branson was a filmmaker, like Elon Musk, one of these like ridiculous, like over the top dudes. And uh, Entourage really got in on that on the ground floor. Yeah, it was such an interesting choice by Cameron, and I'm I'm endlessly fascinated by it. He shows up like three more times this season in scenes with Vince and scenes with Mandy Moore, who starts showing up. Like, I I really uh, I was really kind of like uh, amused by the whole thing, and I'm amused that. He had a lot of input on his character's uh, kind of direction. Yeah. Yeah, no, they did a great job with him. Hey, guys. I wanted to take a quick break to talk to you about Fuego Bots. Fuego Bots is a hot sauce of the month club. Fuego Bots has tested thousands of small batch and craft hot sauces to bring you the tastiest sauces on planet Earth. From hundreds of hot sauces, they find the best of the best and ship them right to your front door. Recently, I tried their spicy honey and their tang sauce, a hot sauce infused with pineapples and a Carolina Reaper pepper. Both delicious, both a welcome addition to my breakfast in the morning. Try it for yourself at FuegoBots.com and use the code BROBIBLE10 for $10 off your first order. That's FuegoBots.com with the code BROBIBLE10 for $10 off your first order. Entourage is endlessly quotable. What were some of your favorite lines or quotes from this episode, Vince? I mean, I already mentioned it, but definitely, uh, definitely drama talking about this is going to be, uh, this is actually going to be a two-parter. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great joke about film Q and A's. And again, just yep. Walsh, uh, saying that his mom's a fucking moron. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. All that was great. I liked when 
they first encounter Cassie, the uh, their driver, and they ask where she's going to be doing her Peace Corps work, and she says the Sudan. Where are you going to be stationed? Uh, the Sudan. Those are some lucky Sudanese. That's called Sudanese, jackass. Actually, it's Sudanese, but with your accents, I'll let it slide. Which I talked about last week with uh, Jeff Eisenband about the way they mispronounce things and act like they know what they're talking about is is very like realistic to me kind of just right. meat-headed behavior yeah we actually have a segment on pod yourself a gun called uh, malapropism corner because uh, the gang and the sopranos are very similar yep. they're always like if there's a quote they're gonna botch it and I, yeah they seem to do the same in this who wins that most of the time is it Polly walnuts or is it silvio oh Polly walnuts definitely has a lot they, they really all do i mean Polly walnuts is like probably the funniest there he is you hungry T? You want to send the kid for my job fresh? But uh, there's plenty. There's like Christopher is, is like the movie guy, and he can never get the movie quote right. Yep. And he'll just describe a movie, and it'll always be bad. Like in the last one we did, he's like talking about uh, uh, Scarface, and he's like, you know how when Scarface came out with the, with bazookas under each arm. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, like <laughs> what movie were you watching, dude? I don't remember any yeah. bazookas. <laughs> yeah, he just described one of the most famous scenes in movie history, and he did it poorly, of course. Yes. Christopher Maltesanti. Um, okay, I would say the one last line that I liked from this episode was when Ari meets the two publicist girls, and he girls, hi, he goes, hi, girls, nice to see you. Find real work, Vinny. I need you. Come here. <laughs> Which I don't mean to shit on publicists, but like, uh, it does feel a little bit sometimes like. Uh, uh, fluff work. Yeah. Oh, well, there was another good line in there because like the, those two. One of them says she like one of them's a rep for tequila and one of them's a rep or, yep. like, and one of them's a rep for like cars or something. And then, Maserati. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Maserati. And they're like, well, don't drink and drive. That's you know that was a good line. We haven't had an episode recently with good music until this episode. There are a lot of songs that stood out to me uh, this week. The biddest one is uh, "Wanna Know" by Obi Trice, which is uh, plays as they. As the episode starts, as they walk down the runway at uh, Salt Lake City Airport, and then it plays at the end of the episode as well. But did any other songs jump out? There was a Hendrix one, like at the beginning, like early on. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. It was Crosstown Traffic. Right, Crosstown Traffic. Yeah, that's a yeah. That was a solid. That was a solid choice. Maybe you know, I don't know if Hendrix is too on the nose, but that, <laughs> that you know, that was a, that was a musical choice that made me smile. Yeah, totally. Um, there was also a. Uh, far side song passing me by it's playing during the sundance party i appreciated the kind of like underground hip-hop yeah they could have done i mean they did all right with the uh the sundance party scene um yeah. i bet they could have done a little more with just like the pure weirdness of sundance parties like it's always it's always like a, a dj in a weird space and like there's there's promos for some product that is strange and doesn't really fit the event and then and then you're just getting like weird free promo drinks they kind of touched on it when drama's like is this a cash bar and they kind of just laugh at him (laughs) because like no dude it's sundance nothing's a cash bar so yeah would you say this was an accurate depiction of sundance i mean obviously this was sundance 15 fucking years ago so it's much smaller Mm but do you do you did you get the impression that this was a version of it? No, absolutely. And I think it's weird because like, you know, I know, I know I shit on it for not being like that accurate in terms of uh, dude relationships, but in terms of uh, a send up 
of the movie industry, it's pretty damn accurate. And especially it's accurate of Sundance where, you know, he's going to see the, the acclaimed Spanish director who I assume is like supposed to be uh, Inaritu or, or, <laughs> you know, or one of those other, or, or Almodovar or something. Yeah. Um, that was pretty good. You know, like, he, like you got, you got the, like the art house darling guy who, who kind of talks in pretentious riddles where he's like, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll pick any actor that brings truth to the role or whatever. And <laughs> it all rang very true as far as Sundance goes. Sundance aged well in the show, but what didn't age well are the outfits that the cast and crew wear. So which outfit would you say stood out to you as being the worst in this episode? Oh, you know, like this one didn't, <laughs> this one didn't visually offend me as, as, so, as, as much as like a lot of things from 2005 probably would. I mean, I think turtles outfit stands out just because his, He's kind of like proto hype beast, and so his uh, his outfits sure. always kind of stand out a little bit. Just like the weird red jacket. I, I don't know, but for some reason the the red jacket's the only thing that stands out. Yeah, honestly, especially their like snowboarding gear, it all kind of fit because you still you still to this day wear like really baggy, poofy things when you go on a fucking cold mountain. So that didn't really uh, get under my skin. I didn't really love drama's like green cowboy hat and his fur lined jacket that he apparently flew there in and then like <laughs> yeah. tipped his tat to Cassie the driver as she drops them off. Like he's a cowboy. And that made me laugh in terms of how ridiculous it was. I think again, like I think that's pretty accurate, especially now. Cause I think uh, like the Western wear has become yeah. a thing uh, like in Hollywood, especially like at this year's, Sundance like that was especially pronounced like people from LA really like playing up the wearing cowboy garb and looking like they just stepped out of uh true grit and I mean the whole point is that drama is like a, an idiot and uh and I think they they captured that well where he's like this dork from New York who uh tries to be like a Hollywood guy and so of course he's comes to Sundance dressed in a ridiculous cowboy hat and like his his like weird uh magazine idea of what a Hollywood dude would do. That's an accurate depiction, like the dork from New York who dresses like he thinks a movie star should. That's yeah. perfect. See the thing is like this show like I love the concept of this show that they're these guys from Queens and E used to be a manager at Sbarro and like they're coming out to LA to uh, like act out their idea of what you know being a like industry player looks like and that is kind of what LA is you know like everybody yeah. if there was like a, a Statue of Liberty outside of LA it'd be like give us all you, you know give us your most pretentious assholes yearning uh, yearning to look like complete fucking idiots and and like just it, it's, uh, you know you're most obnoxious people from all parts of the country like come here you're and vain, then you're insecure yeah yeah and so like every place every place kind of becomes what people think it is because uh it attracts like whatever whatever idea you have about the place like people people the people that go there are the people that are attracted to that idea and that's kind of la just becomes whatever people from elsewhere think la is and that's why you live in la right Vince? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I live in it because uh, I, I have to. I, I think that's the that's the beauty of being uh, a journalist. A journalist is that, you know, you have to, you're in a job that pays nothing that uh, where one of the job requirements is to live in one of the three or four <laughs> most expensive cities in the country. So it's, it's super awesome. 
I'm right there with you. I'm a writer full time, and I live in a, a not a writer friendly city. So, yeah, I lived I lived where you live for eight years, so I, I know. A lot of references in the show that don't stand the test of time. What was the most outdated reference that caught your attention? Oh God, I wish I'd have wrote these down. I, I <laughs> like I don't. What were what were the some of the references that you uh, that you noticed? They show up to the house and turtles geeking out over the multiple side tips that they're given. But you can attack this gift basket if you stop complaining. Ah, multiple sidekicks, eBay, baby. Those T-Mobile sidekick <laughs> phones. He bribes yeah, right. the, uh, he bribes the, like, ticket taker at the movie theater with a sidekick. Ticket? Sidekick? That's right, yeah. Drama has the line when he's trying to impress Cassie. He's like, Sonny Bono presented me with the bronze ribbon himself. My mom's got it hanging up in the foyer. Wow, Sonny Bono. <laughs> Did you ever meet Cher? No, but I did play racquetball with Romp Camaletti for years. But like otherwise, I, like this this one this episode weirdly uh, holds up well because you know Peter Dinklage, James Cameron, Aquaman, Harvey Weinstein. Like these are all references that would not be out of place in a 2019 show. So I wanted I wanted to actually draw your attention to one reference that most viewers of the show probably didn't catch, but they show for a half second the Queens Boulevard poster. And if you stop and you do a little zoom, you see the cast of Queens Boulevard. Did you catch this at all, Vince? No, I didn't catch the cast. So let me read down this list. There's five people. The The main person at the end will blow your dick off. <laughs> the first, underneath Vinny Chase and Ethan Supley, who's in that one scene that we talked about last week or two weeks ago. A member of the Pussy Posse along with, uh, along with Kevin Connolly. Yeah. Kevin Connolly, that's right. We have Katie Holmes. Zoe De Chanel, mm-hmm. Kelly Kruger, and yeah. Robert Duvall. <laughs> Strong. Robert Duvall was in Queens Boulevard. It's like never mentioned. It's like obviously at this point in his career is like later on in his career, but like they never thought to mention like, oh yeah, Vince, you're in that Robert Duvall movie, Queens Boulevard. Like right, like Vince it's like, is the bigger star in that apparently. In and it's the second movie of his career. They, it's like they did like a they grabbed a bunch of names out of the, out of a hat back then and were like who would be Zoe De Chanel in two thousand and five was a nobody. Yeah, well, I mean, she was like more. I think she was like the indie. She was like the indie actress who would be in a Sundance movie at that stage of her career. True, I found it fascinating. I just I'm trying to picture that cast and mind blown. There was that moment where uh, they're announcing uh, Queens Boulevard and it's like oh and. Uh... If anybody got to use the can, the movie's running almost four hours, so we'll do it now. Thank you. The part where nobody left was, <laughs> was a little bit uh, unrealistic because if I'm at a Sundance movie and the person comes out and tells me it's like, four hours long, I'm like, all right, bye. Yep, you're leaving. Fuck that. Yeah, I no can barely way. sit through Avengers. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I mean, I guess that's that's more of a film critic thing, but like you're there and you're trying to see as many movies as you can and get all this work done and you're barely sleeping. And like the bane of your existence is these super long movies and uh, you know, anything over two hours, like you can just hear the, every film critic in there being like, Oh fuck. I love that. It's four, not three hours, four hours, (laughs) just enough to make it almost a quarter of your fucking day. I mean, he does go on to make like Medellin in the show, right? And then yeah, I think yeah. uh, was it was it Soderbergh made like four hours worth of uh, Che movie, I think, a Che Guevara movie. So yep, yep. again, like they're pretty accurate with their like industry stuff. 
That's great. And I'm glad to hear it from an industry insider like yourself. Oh, yeah. We've talked a lot about how this episode really does kind of stand the test of time, the plot, the characters. Would would anything be different if this episode were to air in 2019? I mean, I hope hopefully they wouldn't cast Kevin Connolly and Adrian Grenier <laughs> in it. That would be my. Uh, I mean, if I was if I, if I was casting it, I'd be like, yeah, these two completely charisma free dudes would not be in this. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to take any shots at the cast because I'd love to have the cast on yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah. Point, I, figured, but... I, figured, I figured that would be a conflict of interest. For you. <laughs> so I had to be the one to say it. All, all good. In terms of the plot of this episode, I think in the entire idea of Cameron flying to Sundance to see these movies and these actors is it was absurd then and it's absurd now. Like I did that like last episode, Billy Walsh refuses to send a screener to uh, James Cameron, but in 2019, James Cameron would have even more weight to throw around, and the screener would just get sent to him in a Dropbox file. Right, yeah, no, if if, if Billy Walsh refused to send James Cannon, Cameron a screener, he'd be like, all right, I'm definitely not casting anyone from this movie. 100%. And then I think Drama and Turtle wouldn't be fighting over Cassie. They'd just be like on Bumble and Tinder the whole time they're in Salt Lake and probably end up landing a Mormon girl as they... uh they were discussing oh that's true you know maybe that's that you know maybe that uh is part of my criticism is 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 i'm looking at it like with my 2019 brain where you could you know they're just going to be finding girls on their apps and not not fighting over the one driving their their company car if applicable every week we like to give the marvin award for best new character named after marvin their uh financial advisor and there's really only one new character that shows up in this episode that kind of sticks around, and that's the Harvey Weingard character. Nothing like a good shit. Hey, hey, give me one of those towels. You could get trashy. Horrible, but also kind of great. Yeah, I mean, they did like the, from everything that I've heard about Harvey Weinstein, like that was a pretty perfect portrayal where like he just flies off the handle at the drop of a hat, and there's just like spittle flying everywhere when he's mad. I remember reading about some of Harvey Weinstein's uh, uh, outbursts, and like he he yelled at someone like, "I'm the sheriff of this bullshit town." <laughs> it, was like, it was great because he's like he's like almost nagging himself. It's like, yeah, I'm the totally. king of horseshit mountain. <laughs> the actor who played Harvey Weingard was an, a Canadian guy named Maury Chaitin. He His career was made up of bit character parts, but he had a nice little run early on in his career. He was in War Dames. He played a computer programmer. He was a prostitution witness in My Cousin Vinny. And then in 1990, oh, yeah. he, had a, he, had a, he had a small but pivotal role in the film Dances with Wolves. He's the guy in my cousin Vinny who uh, who Joe Pesci's asking about the grits, right? Uh, Do you remember what you had? Eggs and grits. Eggs and grits. I like grits too. How do you cook your grits? You like them regular, creamy, or al dente? Just regular, I guess. Instant grits. No self-respect, and suddenly uses instant grits. It's weird that the person who cast this episode uh, so perfectly uh, was also responsible for Kevin Connolly. And Adrian Grenier. Just another, like, completely unwarranted shot at the two. Uh, great. Hey, no, it, you're entitled to your opinion, man. Like, no, but completely... honestly, like, what is Vinny Chase's, like, what is his uh, appeal? Like, he he's like this guy who's kind of a, he's kind of a dick and he's super, uh, super into himself. And I get that that's partly his character, but I feel like the, the whole thing, if this show was to work, 
it would you would you would expect him to be like this super charismatic guy who has like star energy who kind of makes everybody feel a little bit cooler to be around him. And I've been around like actors who are like that, and and just and seeing Adrian Grenier try to be that is just like no, this is not the right guy. I don't know. It's, it's, I can't get over that hurdle. I think that's why the show is like a disconnect for me. Fair enough. And it's a common complaint. I talked about this a little bit with Jeff Eisenband uh, last week where the show is called Entourage. It's about the people that surround this person. And that person for, for plot purposes should be a little vain, a little flaky and a little dumb, not dumb in terms of like more, just like not really, you know, not really connected to the to the world. And for for all intents and purposes, I think Adrian Grenier accomplishes that. Now, is he the best actor on the show? I don't know. Um, I'd say that probably that award probably goes to Jeremy Piven, and it shows because he won three fucking Emmys for it. Right, so, him and Lloyd. Yep. <laughs> we haven't talked a lot about Lloyd on this podcast. I'm looking forward to doing that as his character gets uh, bitter and better. I mean, like an example of seems like what they're trying to do with this is like Veep. You know, Veep is kind of about an entourage of people that are all like in this one person's or- orbit, and yeah. you know, like she's she's very vain and and shitty and amoral, but like she has like she's she's fun to watch. Be that like she's she's magnetic as that kind of character, and I just don't get that with the with with Vinnie Chase. Totally, and and who knows? Maybe it was a matter of him getting miscast early on, and then it was a, a successful show, so they just had to run with him. I mean, you see that sometimes, and looked at um, AJ Soprano, <laughs> right? Later on in like season six, seven, and eight of Sopranos, they're trying to just give AJ anything to do because he just sat there on the ground playing Nintendo sixty four for like four full seasons. Oh, but he's he's like a perfect scumbag. And I think him and Turtle are like alternate universe versions of each <laughs> other in some way. Every week I like to award someone with the faces in the crowd award. This is like a bit player who you kind of recognize. Do I know is that that person from that thing? Mm-hmm. Do you know who I'm gonna say for this week? Did anyone jump out at you? I mean other than the ones that we've already mentioned, no, I don't think so. So the girl who's the concession stand worker who is asking Cameron about Titanic, she's an actress named oh, Chrissy yes. Metz. She's best known for playing Kate Pearson in the NBC drama This Is Us. She's been nominated for Best Supporting Actors Awards, Emmys, Golden Globes. She's like a big-time star on the most critically acclaimed popular broadcast drama right now, and she has two lines in this episode. Yeah, now that, yeah I do remember that now that you mention her. She's actually – she's also – in uh, a movie called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot that is, uh, it stars Joaquin Phoenix as like a disabled cartoonist. And she's like one of the friends he meets in recovery. And she's like, she's super good in that. So I, yeah, I do remember seeing her now that you mentioned it. So we just talked about a great actress in Chrissy Metz. Let's talk about a great actor in Johnny Drama. What moment from this episode of Dramas was your favorite? Oh, I mean, I've mentioned it like two or three times already. It's just uh, him being him being like the douchey guy in the post film sure. Q and A. Uh, yeah, he's always got that look on his face uh, that he makes in uh, Platoon, where he's like, "Oh man, yep. you ever seen brains like that?" Great callback to his other huge role as Bunny in the movie uh, P- Platoon. And, like, do, you, do you think that's how he is in real life? Like, I don't know if I've ever seen him play like a non. Uh, Kevin Dillon-esque character. 
I think he is. I think he's a, a much more toned down version of it. I think he's a pretty serious, quiet guy. He keeps to himself from everything that I've uh, read and seen about him. But follows the podcast on Instagram and likes stuff every once in a while. So, <laughs> Kevin, if you're listening, please come on the podcast. That's a feather in your cap right there. Absolutely. I like the drama moment when him and Alejandro are leaving Queens Boulevard, leaving the screening for Queens Boulevard. Four hours long, they cut me out of the whole fucking movie. But the line you spoke was delivered with such angst, Johnny. Thank you, Alejandro. I do have an abundance of that. <laughs> Which is a very deadpan, like, well-written joke, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of well-written jokes in this episode. If Vince is the winner every week, Vince, who would you say besides Vince won this episode? Oh, man. I mean, like in terms of like came out at the end of it smelling like a yeah. rose. I mean, I feel like they all came out smelling like a rose. I mean, that's kind <laughs> of, like of the, the lack of stakes. That's kind of the whole yeah. thing. It was like the, like the, the, the tension is like whether this four hour passion project is going to be any good. The movie plays and it's like smash cut to like, nope, everybody loved it. And Vinny Chase was so good in it. And you know what? He's going to get, he doesn't even have to choose between Harvey Weinstein and James Cameron. Boom. He just got that entourage or that Aquaman role like right away. So my answer is E. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. E sets up the wine guard meeting. He gets, he ultimately gets Vince Aquaman. He's been pushing for seven episodes. He found the script. Vince was out on Aquaman, and this is the his moment of redemption where, you know, Tamron sees the talent in Vince, offers him the role, and he also has sex with one of the PR girls, some of that fallout pussy that Vince is always talking about. So he wins, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, like they were, they were supposed to be sort of this uh, conflict between picking, doing the safe choice and doing the bold choice. And, uh, like, has anyone on Entourage ever done the safe thing? Like, they build it up like it's a conflict, but we know what they're going to do, and we know how yeah. it's going to play out. Like, they're going to take a big swing, and they're just going to hit yep. another home run, and then there's going to be a <laughs> pool party afterwards, and they're going to ride around in a convertible. Oh, yeah. Vince goes, let's roll the dice. He probably says that 12 times this season. So every time they roll the dice, it comes up, uh, yeah, it comes up seven. So would you say this was an A-list episode, a B-list episode, or a D-list episode? Oh, man, this is like an A-plus list episode. You got James Cameron, you got Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Finally, something we agree on. There are no weak storylines. It's, it's an iconic location. There's this hilarious drama turtle subplot, and Vince finally lands Aquaman, which is literally all they've been talking about for six or seven episodes. But ultimately, when you talked about Entourage episodes and you say the Sundance one, everyone knows what you're talking about. So that's what kind of makes it stand out for me. That's what gives it its like boost up to A-list. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, my criticism, criticism is like there's so much clarity like at the fringes of the storyline. You know, like the outskirts of it are like so well written and the characters are so fleshed out and then like the the main guys are just just two fucking vacuums <laughs> so my last question to most of my guests so far this season has been in your life's entourage now i understand you said earlier that it's not like a real life entourage sure sure if you had to done to your head compare yourself to one person in this quintuplet of people who would it be Oh man, that's rough. You know, like I, I definitely, 
I, I, I hate this about myself, but I guess I guess I would be the E in this situation because he's kind of like he's the only one who's like a little bit misanthropic and can't necessarily enjoy the success because he's uh, like he's the one that he's the one that cares more and yeah. uh, you know I don't know has this flawed idea that there's like more to this than uh, them partying and probably can't enjoy it for what it is and uh, i hate to say it but yeah that's probably that's probably who's the most like me it's fine and it's a difficult question for some people to answer i've probably asked five or six people and 95 percent of them have said e and one person white Sox dave from barstool sports said that he was johnny drama because he's the most quotable so not <laughs> a lot of people saying vince i just want someone to come on and be like honestly i'm vince everyone follows me around everyone everyone circles me i just want someone to have that awareness and uh Hopefully they're coming. Hopefully they'll be at death sometime soon. Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, I think my life would be a lot, uh, a lot more impressive if I was the Vince character. If everything, if everything just worked out for me all the time. Well, Vince, this was an impressive episode of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Um, we hope, to, honestly, want to have you back. I liked, I liked the disparity. I liked the kind of push and shove of, of me and you disagreeing on things it wasn't super combative but uh you know everyone has their own opinion and it's a free country you can come on an entourage podcast and you can shit on entourage it's fine i hope yeah i'm sure i made all the listeners hate me so uh sorry about that you guys i don't i probably don't hear all the things that you like so <laughs> but i enjoyed it where uh where can the listeners find you and follow you to voice their displeasure oh yeah well uh, i'm on twitter at uh vince mancini and my podcast is called the film drunk frotcast f-r-o-t-c-a-s-t we named it after uh the sexual act of frotting where uh, men rub penises together because we thought that was a good <laughs> metaphor for the act of podcasting so turtle and drama yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> wow. I know. Once again, we got like synergy going on. And again, uh, we have a very similar podcast about the Sopranos and it's called Pod Yourself a Gun. And uh, we're going to be having episode eight come out. So and those are on all your podcast apps and whatnot. Well, thanks for joining. We'll have you back soon. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, guys. We are airing one last time next Wednesday. Next week is Memorial Day weekend. I'm not going to put this out on Monday because no one's going to fucking listen on Monday. Go to a barbecue. So this will air next Wednesday. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me.